And now, for your feature presentation. One, or two, or three, or four, five, or Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome, wrestling and film fans alike. I am your host, Jason Kleberg, and this is the Force 5 Podcast, a show which forces my guests to come up with a movie-themed top five list, and then we reveal our picks on air. Pull up a steel chair, because today's guest is J.P. Sorrow, one half of the Lapsed Fan Wrestling Podcast, and the topic he chose was top five films that feature a wrestler. And if you're a fan of the lapsed fan already, I gotta say, J.P. Sorrow did not disappoint. Before we get to the boss man, let's talk about social media, and then I will talk about a couple of things that I saw this past week. Now, last week's topic was top five possession scenes with Pete Abeta, and uh, we apparently missed a few, Pete. People wanted to let us know. Remember, if you want to get your name on the show, drop me a line on Twitter at Force5Pod or Instagram at Force5Podcast. Ben McIntyre6 said the taking of Deborah Logan in which she morphs and tries to eat the kid's head. Yes, that scene was also featured on my episode featuring five more scary scenes with Hilton Perez. The Sensible Sociopath Podcast said The Conjuring. Low Cantaloupe 9426 said Dana getting possessed by Zool in Ghostbusters was pretty memorable. Law Dog and Git said Brad Pitt talking in Patois in Meet Joe Black. <laughs> Truly horrifying. Maybe I need to go watch Meet Joe Black again. All I remember from that movie is Brad Pitt getting creamed by the cars. B. Douchey said might not be as popular among all, but I love the possessed Lulu Wilson in Ouija Origin of Evil. Lulu Wilson. I almost read that as Luke Wilson. Like, what the f- <laughs> what movie was he possessed in? Uh, Helmut DeMarco says I like the one in Deliver Us from Evil. JFCMS Beams says Scary Movie 2. That's a good one. Captain Pickle. It might not be considered possession, but the gibberish scene in Ganjiam Haunted Asylum. Comes out of nowhere and scared the hell out of me. A couple of, uh, across all social media, a couple of mentions for the exorcism of Emily Rose. Jennifer Carpenter was great in that. Nate They says, Fallen with Denzel Washington. Let me tell you about the time I almost died. And of course, Guitar Evil says, Jonah Hill in This is the End. Funny as hell. On to a couple things I've watched this past week. It's October, so I'm trying to get some horror movies in here. And I saw two this week. Both, which were um, pretty good. I really, really liked one of them, and I'm going to start with that one. This one is 2019's Crawl. The state of Florida has issued a Category 5 hurricane warning. All residents must evacuate immediately. Grab your families, your loved ones, and get out. Dad! We won't be able to come for you. Haley, a college student on a swimming scholarship, heads to her childhood home to make sure that her dad is okay during a level 5 hurricane in southern Florida. Unfortunately, when she gets there, he's not okay, but it's not the hurricane that's left him in bad shape. It's the killer alligators who have co-opted the block. 
There are a lot of animal attack films out there, and it's really hard to make a good one. For every Jaws, we get 10 Sharknados, and for every alligator, we get 10 Frankenfishes. So as talented as Alexandra Aha is, I had pretty low expectations going into Crawl, and I had not read anything about it. And I have to say, I was extremely entertained by this film. I think it does a terrific job setting up the world that we're in. We're plunged into this level five hurricane that looks great on film. And once we get to Haley's family home, we really get a sense of space. And that sense of space is important because we spend about half of this film in the basement of the house. Aha pulls off an impressive feat by keeping us entertained and turning up the stakes in smart ways as the gators hunt our protagonists. Nearly the entire movie takes place in and around this house and just when you think they're out, they're brought right back in. There's something about this virtual ticking clock that I found really compelling. They're stuck in the basement, but the water is rising, and as the water rises, the power pendulum starts swinging far to the side of the alligators. And if they can get into the main house, the water will keep rising, and there's a levee that's gonna break at some point, so the stakes just keep upping in very smart ways, and it lets you know that our heroes are nowhere near safety, even if they get out of reach of the gators. Kaya Scotolario and Barry Pepper play Haley and her father, Dave. Because the rest of the town has evacuated, they're basically the only actors here. Although the film does find really great ways to bring a few side characters into the block to up the body count, which is a necessity when it comes to a good animal attacks flick. These two really need to carry the film on their back and they absolutely succeeded. I wasn't familiar with K.S. Scodelario, but she really impressed me and Barry Pepper is one of our great character actors who never disappoints and the guy needs more credit. Both of them get worked during this movie and their resilience is part of what made them both so endearing. The alligators look terrific. At maybe 10 feet long, they stomp around like absolute units and when they get a hold of human flesh, you fucking feel it. The gore effects were really great too. People get ripped to shreds, torn in half. Hell, if you've seen AHA's other films like Piranha 3D or Hot Tension, you know what you're in for. There's just something about seeing water turn blood red that gets the horror juices going. Crawl is a supremely entertaining 90 minutes. It delivers on exactly what it advertises, a claustrophobic chomp fest that's drowning in rain and blood without falling into the familiar groove of treating its audience like complete morons. The script is smart and the characters don't make any decisions so dumb that you hope they die. It's lean, mean, tons of fun, and if you're in animal attack films, this one checks all the boxes. It's also another perfect example of why no one should ever live in Florida. I also saw the newest installment in the VHS anthology series, VHS 94. Police search warrant! Police Do not touch anything. Could be no one left alive in here. Do I just press the button? Press the red button. Just press it. I assume they're paying extra for this. Yes. This is a remarkable story. Hello? Hello? Not counting the full-length spin-off film Siren, this is the fourth in the VHS series, one which highlights short horror stories which are bound together by a shot-on-video look. VHS 94 features four main shorts and a wraparound story that runs throughout the film. Each tale is told through the eyes of a handheld camera lens. Anthology films are a fun way to explore different horror themes in a short amount of time. VHS series mainstay Simon Barrett, who wrote Your Next and The Guest, is back to direct Empty Wake. Ryan Prowse, director of Low Life, which I still haven't seen yet but really want to, he helms one called Terror. Indonesian director Timo Jijanto, who has directed films like Headshot and Killers, is back to direct The Subject. 
and newcomers Chloe Okuno and Jennifer Reeder direct Storm Drain and the wraparound story Holy Hell, respectively. Holy Hell is a strange tale of a pack of SWAT team members descending on what they believe to be a drug ring, but they find something much more sinister. The tension is high as the team moves from room to room discovering weird shit as they go. Unfortunately, I think the tension is drained because this is a story that's supposed to bring everything together, so as things ramp up, we cut to another story and the buildup that we've had is deflated. Lots of really creepy visuals in this one though, a very tense atmosphere, and some eye trauma, so if you're squeamish, you're in for a ride. The first contained short is called Storm Drain, which follows a news reporter and her cameraman as they lightly investigate a neighborhood urban legend known as the Rat Man. The atmosphere in this one is also pretty scary, as the two go against their better judgment and walk into a storm drain. The creature design is really great, and even though you don't know what happened in the drain, the payoff is a lot of fun, and it's pretty surprising. The second film here is Simon Barrett's The Empty Wake. Its narrative is the weakest in my opinion, and after Storm Drain, it just kind of feels like more of the same. The effects in this one are really good looking, but overall I thought the short lacked surprise and imagination. The third one we get here is The Subject. This is the longest of the four, and luckily, to me, it was the most entertaining. It focuses on experiments being conducted in a bunker by a mad scientist and feels like a mashup of Human Centipede and Tetsuo the Iron Man. We start by seeing one of his failed experiments and then about halfway through the police barge in and things get really fucking nuts. The short goes from mechanical body horror to action horror and it is a blood-filled, exploitative blast. The metal designs are really well done and the gore on this one is off the charts. The last film here is Terror, which invites us into the world of a right-wing domestic terrorist group and their unique plan to destroy an FBI building in Detroit. I thought it was really well done, and it was interesting to see the two types of terror presented at the same time. The domestic terrorists, which do exist, and another kind of horror that probably does not. There's also some dark comedy in this one that worked for me as we watched these dumbass patriots bungle their plot to the point of no return. As with most horror anthologies, there are going to be some segments that work for some and don't for others. The good news though is that there's probably enough here that you're going to find something that tickles your fancy. The old school scratchy VHS filter played over the top of the whole movie can get a bit irritating, but it's just trying to pull you into 1994. Because of this, most of the shorts look muddy and blurry, so there's no real need to watch this on your OLED. There are good creature effects, impressive gore, and tense atmospheres drawn throughout. If you like films like Creepshow or other installments of the VHS series, I'd recommend this one. Now, whether you're watching horror movies or wrestling, you never want to do it on an empty stomach. And with that in mind, it's time for today's sponsor, Whammy Burger. Stop by for breakfast and snag a ham and cheese womlet and some whammy fries, but make sure you're there by 11.30, because once they stop serving breakfast, it's onto the lunch menu, no exceptions. If you're really hungry, fill your hot dog holster with my favorite, a double whammy burger with cheese. Like Hulk Hogan, it's plump, juicy, and three inches thick, and it's going to look exactly like the picture on the menu. But don't take my word for it. Whammy Burger has given me some customer testimonials to read here. Scott Norton says, Whammy Burger has the best burger I've ever eaten, and literally all I eat are hamburgers for every meal. William Goldberg says, who's next? A Whammy Burger. Randall Savage says, snap into a Slim Jim, which I'm not even sure is on the menu. Andre simply says, me like burger. And finally, Richard Flair says woo. So there you have it. During your visit to the Whammy Burger, tell the manager Rick that the Force 5 podcast sent you for a free Chaka Whammy shake when you order any combo meal. Suplex your hunger tonight 
at Whammy Burger. Ring the bell, ref. Let's get to the action in the ring. Let's get to J.P. Sorrow of the Lapsed Fan. Welcome back to the Force 5 Podcast. Tonight, I'm joined by J.P. Sorrow. In addition to his many roles in commercials, TV shows, and live theater, he also co-hosts one of my favorite podcasts in the world, and really the only non-movie podcast I listen to, The Lapsed Fan. How's it going, J.P.? Ooh, oh, that was quite the intro. My goodness. I hope I, I, hope I live up to those expectations. Jeez. <laughs> I'm sure you will. I'm sure you will. I'm doing great. I'm, I'm really excited about this. And you're going to have to excuse me if I call you boss at any point, because for the last years, I mean, <laughs> that's all I've known you as. You don't you don't really get called JP on that show. So It's so true. I'm going to tell you something that's, that's funny is that so, you know, Jack's been calling me boss. My co-host, Jack Encarnacio, uh, uh, for those who don't know, um, he's been calling me boss. Like we've had nicknames. I call him Chump. He calls me boss. We've, we've had these nicknames for 20 years, for 20 years. But because it's become so much more commonplace, like people, you know, when we when emails written to us uh, uh, are addressed to some often Jack and boss man and so so on and so forth, that when somebody if I'm just at like uh, uh, a, uh, you know, getting, you know, takeout or, or, or going to the grocery store and someone just says, you know, here you go, boss. It's like, I'm like, wait, do you listen to the show? Or is this just <laughs> a, a term of endearment that you're calling me? I, I, I don't know which one it is. Constantly <laughs> in fear of being up. rolled up. Oh, that is, that is very true. <laughs> that is very true. It's happened a couple of times, happened a few times where I've been rolled up by not literally, but figuratively <laughs> enough. Literally, that would be a, a, a whole different story. That would be weird. <laughs> Normally, I save the plugs until after the show, but I think context is important when we start getting into sure. our topic here. The Lapsed Fan is a wrestling podcast unlike any other. Uh, why don't you just kind of outline what Lapsed Fan is, and then I'll kind of talk about my experience with it. So The Lapsed Fan, I mean, the only way I can really talk about it is is that this is the this is really based off of real conversations that Jack and I have when, when, when Jack and I would talk about, oftentimes we'd have three hour phone calls mm -hmm. on wrestling. We're literally on the phone for three hours talking about wrestling and making each other laugh. And that was kind of the genesis of it. And he's, I'm making it sound kind of bad, but it's, he's a, you know, he's a, 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 a former investigative journalist. I'm an actor. You put those two together, and it creates quite a combination. And Jack does an, an absolutely incredible amount of research to to prep for the shows. It's un it's unbelievable. Like real, we go behind the scenes, both in terms of the wrestling world and in terms of legitimate media in prepping for each pay per view that we do. So we do a pay per view a week uh, or a show per week, not a whole. Um, like era or time period, but we focus on one specific event that happened and then figure out what was happening around the world, uh, 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 kind of leading up to that event. And then we actually review the show on the second half. Yeah. It is impressive to say the least. Thank you. It, it is an endeavor every week. It is an endeavor. I'll tell you that. 
I'm sure. And I've always wondered how much prep goes into that show. I started listening after... So Vice put out this like mini documentary on Chris Benoit. And I was a big Chris Benoit fan. And so I, I watched the documentary and it's like, oh, that's, that's pretty good. And then I went online and I was seeing what other people were saying about it. And somebody said, you know what? Fucking skip that and go and listen to the Lapsed Fan series on it. And I saw it was like 15 hours of Benoit. This was a three-parter. You know, the 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 biggest, it's, it's kind of funny. The, the biggest criticism we have is also the biggest praise we get which is the length of the shows, which are crazy long, like really absurdly long for any (laughs) podcast. I mean, when an average show is four hours, four to five hours, and the big ones are even longer than that, split up into three different sections, it's, it's absurd. But within that, you, we cover so much ground, so much ground. And Honestly, I never really appreciated how much work Jack does until I started doing kind of our spinoff show on on Patreon, which is Under the Cinemat, which mm-hmm. is why I'm excited to be here. Yeah, and we'll get to Under the Cinemat in a second. Um, I just wanted to praise one of your latest shows, the 9-11 Smackdown show. Which, again, two parts. So the first part is the lead-in, the context behind the show. The second one goes through the show. But normally, when I'm listening to The Laps Fan, I'm crying from laughter <laughs> this time. I was crying from both laughter and sadness listening to this 9-11 show. And I just have to commend both of you on your your work on that show. Just well done. Thank you. I, I really appreciate that. It was, it was such a... Uh, uh, I- I mean, it's a hard thing to go back and really talk about. I didn't realize it was going to be that hard. But I think the biggest surprise for me, and and honestly, I would suggest anybody anybody who's even going to get to find it, I don't know where the hell it is in the actual episode. But if you if you if you want if you want to listen to a firsthand account of somebody who actually was in one of the buildings, mm-hmm. we got an incredible email from a listener who that we shared on on the show and he and he just went through his entire experience from the morning he got to to the twin towers to when he evacuated just like what was going on it is it is a a a harrowing tale and honestly worth worth the listen just for that alone because i think that that even if you're not a wrestling fan to hear that account i don't know how many people have have that kind of access. I didn't know we had that kind of access, honestly. And, and it was, it was, God, it was, it was unbelievable. And, uh, you know, and yeah, just, uh, uh, you really feel like as we were reading that email, I, I really could, could put myself back into that, in that place as you know, that, that, that feeling of fear that we were all going through. It was a great episode and just, like like you said, no stone unturned on the lead up. And uh, I think it was good the way that you put us in that space of 9-11 again and then went through that show. Just just masterfully done. And you. you mentioned Under the Cinemat. So tell us a little bit more about that, your Patreon audience. Obviously, you give like listeners, any listener, a ton of content, but you also have a, yes. a ton of Patreon content. Tell us about Under the Cinemat. <laughs> a ton of Patreon content. 
Under the Cinemat was my personal brainchild, um, based off actually off of the suggestion of of I don't remember if it was a tweet or if it was an email or maybe it was a message on Patreon, but somebody suggested that we should do a movie or something that featured so and such or such and such wrestler. And it got me thinking that could actually be a fun Patreon spinoff thing in would be wrestler uh, movies that feature wrestlers or are about wrestling or that have a wrestler in some kind of creative capacity. And, um, you know, I, I, I proposed this to Jack and Jack was like, that sounds great. You're doing the research. <laughs> like, Huh? Yeah, you're doing the research. And I, as you know, I had that's Jack Encarnacio is a really, really tough act to follow when it comes to in-depth research. And but I, you know, I, I, I decided to take the plunge. And so it is roles reversed from the traditional laps fan. And usually laps fan is is me taking in what Jack is basically teaching me. And, and commenting on it. And, and under the cinemat is the reverse because it actually blends my other love, which is movies. I'm a huge movie fan um, of all different eras and genres and whatever. And so I got to blend both things that I love so much, which are films and wrestling. And um, the, the scary thing is, is just like the, the laps fan, there seems to be no shortage of content as it goes. <laughs> Every day goes by and I find something else that kind of fits the mold um, to under the cinemat. So it, it's fun. And uh, again, you know, the shows, the shows go longer than I thought because we do basically a similar type of thing where I, I do all the research and, and kind of prep the show on the first part. And then Jack and I actually watch the movie and do kind of a, uh, a, uh, I don't know what you call it, well, like a live call sort of, speak yeah. of watching, which, you know, I know some people don't like it. Some people do like it, but it, honestly it, it for us, I don't give a shit. Cause it's just fun for us to watch <laughs> a movie together. You know, to me, that's, that's worth it alone is that every week he and I get to watch a movie together. And it's like, it's just fun. If you want a little taste of Under the Cinemat, by the way, uh, we have the holiday season coming up. So go back to last year, Christmas season. You can hear Home Alone <laughs> done all cast by wrestlers that you, JP, do most of the voices for. It is fucking yeah. hilarious. <laughs> that, yes, we, was that last year? I think it was last think, Christmas, yeah. Oh my God, was it really? Jesus. So I think you're right. I think it was. Um, that's another thing that we've done is for... That's for the main that's for the main show is we try to do something kind of special for the Christmas for the Christmas episode that we like to drop on Christmas Day. We don't have any kind of hype towards it. We don't build it up at all. It's always a surprise. I, I even to the point don't want it titled to what it is like. I don't want people to have any kind of idea when it drops. It literally says the lapsed fan Christmas show. Yeah. And that's it. I don't want people to know what it is until they start listening. And we have done, we've done both Home Alones. One of the things I guess I didn't say about the Laps fan is, is on the main show is that we do character voices. We do what has been called now the internal monologue of all these wrestlers. We call it the unofficial internal monologue of Vince McMahon, Hulk Hogan, Steve Austin, uh, uh, Seth Rollins, anybody, anybody <laughs> at this point has had 
that uh, uh, the internal monologue and has become lapsed, if you will. Um, and so people people have responded very positively to the to the characters. That's why we keep doing them, and also it makes the two of us laugh, and that's what's most important to us. And so I, we we have the idea of of doing like radio plays, basically that feature us playing the characters playing the lapsed voices playing the characters from the movies we had like vince mcmahon as joe pesci's role in the home alone <laughs> movies stone cold steve austin as 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 uh, kevin McAllister, and it's just we have a blast i mean again you know the two of us just sit there and crack ourselves up and it's always fun well it is infectious so uh hopefully hopefully all these descriptions of the laps fan have put some of my listeners onto your show because it is so. so worth it. So worth it. And there, you know, there are definitely some crossover fans for sure. Movies and movies and it's all, it's all about making, we make movies. That's what we do, damn it. Laps Vince. Laps Vince is here. I was not expecting that, actually. I was not planning on that. But it's oh, happened. it's an honor to meet Lapsed Vince. I can only hope that at some point in this show, Hogan comes in for a leg drop, tries to roll <laughs> us up. We'll see. Oh, no boy. Not saying anything yet. <laughs> Well, uh, JP Sara, you ready to get to this list? I, I am. I'm excited. I'm excited. You know what's going to happen? Mm. You know what's happening to you right now? Huh? You know what's going to happen? No, 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 no. What? You just made the list. It is a hard one to do. Oh, my God. No it question. was hard. It's a hard one to do, especially I, I have I have I've done too much work on it already to look. I kind of like. You know, uh, I, I know too many wrestler movies at this point. Yeah, I went back and forth on so many like, oh, my yeah. gosh, which ones need to be talked about? We're, of course, doing top five movies starring wrestlers. Is it starring? Uh, it, I mean, top five movies featuring starring whatever. Right. Yeah, just right. there just has to be a wrestler in there. Then I'd have to like completely redo my list. But that's okay. <laughs> no, no. Um, for my personal criteria, when I was building my list in order to narrow things down, which I often do for these topics, I chose that like for mine, it had to be wrestlers that I personally watched, which mm. took a huge movie out that I'll mention during the honorable mentions. Oh, and then right. the other criteria that I had is that uh, it, it needed to be a, like a pivotal role in the movie for okay. mine. And then uh, I guess one more is that each selection was a different wrestler because I could have chosen yeah. easily multiple for one wrestler, but I want to switch it up. So uh, any personal criteria for you when you were narrowing down your I list? Definitely was about the um, uh, uh, different wrestlers couldn't be the same one twice. Um, but I definitely I, I wanted to go a little bit admittedly into kind of some some kind of funky territory where you might not necessarily think and you know it might be a surprise here and there but they're actually i can honestly say that all five movies are personal favorites of mine without a doubt so that i can definitely guarantee i'm not putting up movies there that i haven't seen or don't like uh, uh because it features some kind of weird wrestler but um just yeah i'll, I'll leave it at that for now Right there with you. All of mine are movies that I personally like, and I have like three that I think are pretty good crowd pleasers, and I have yes. two that I, I think you have to be in the right mood to like these ones. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, I'm excited. I can't wait. Oh, we'll see. All right, we're about to get to this list, but 
Again, movies starring or featuring wrestlers, not movies named after wrestlers. So we're not going to have Ang Lee's Hulk on here. (laughs) Michael Bay's The Rock. Brian Bosworth's Stone Cold. The Charlton Heston natural disaster film Earthquake. Uh, (laughs) One that I think would be a personal favorite of yours, uh, 2008's Disaster Max Payne. We do, we do emphasize Max Payne. <laughs> the brand new film Cry Macho, which is unfortunately not about the uh, ending of WrestleMania 5. <laughs> All right, let's get to It really would be. It really would be. <laughs> let's get to the list, my friend. I'm going to kick us off here at number five. And I'm going to start with the film that I think is probably the worst on my list okay. in terms of general audiences liking it. But I like it because I liked it when I was a kid. Um, it came out in 1985. And this is one of those that I found at the video store when I was little. And I'll start off by saying it's from a famed documentarian named Alan Holtzman. He won two Emmys and a Peabody for directing and editing Spielberg's Survivors of the Holocaust. But 11 years earlier, he made a little wrestling mockumentary called Grunt, the Wrestling Movie. In 1979, an event occurred that changed the history of mankind as we know it. It was the year of the great championship battle between Skull Crusher Johnson and Mad Dog Joe DiCurso. And is slingshotting himself around the ring, building up momentum with a full head of steam. He heads for Mad Dog Joe, but the champion goes headfirst into the ropes. In a remarkable demonstration of wrestling artistry, Mad Dog employed a new and devastating combat technique. Oh no! He decapitated his opponent. Being a deeply sensitive sportsman, Mad Dog fell into a deep depression and 120 feet into the San Francisco Bay. But did he really? Now, today, every man, woman, and child on the planet asks the number one question, is the vicious new monster called the mask in reality Mad Dog Joe DiCurso? Uh, I want to ask you, I want to ask you a question. At last, a motion picture reveals the whole mind-snapping truth. Mad Dog Joe? Yes, the mask. You are an idiot! Have you seen Grunt? I have actually not seen it. I have some uh uh one of the listeners gave me a copy of it for under the cinema i've never seen it before but i i've heard that it is that it is a true delicacy <laughs> in, in the film featuring wrestlers or about wrestling uh, uh genre yeah this one is uh it's an interesting one it's basically like a um it's a mockumentary and it starts off with a kind of like bluish tinted scene that sets the stage for this documentary. So you've got this uh, this heavyweight championship match between Skull Crusher Johnson and Mad Dog Joe DiCurso. And it starts off with Skull Crusher Johnson. He, he like flips over the ropes. And you know how the uh, wrestler's head gets kind of caught in between the, the top and oh, yeah. second rope? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Basically what took mankind's ear off. Right. Uh, well, Joe DiCurso... He starts hitting him to the point where his head fucking pops off his body. Okay. Oh my god! Decapitates Skull Crusher. He's acquitted of manslaughter what? because it's wrestling, and you know anything can happen in a wrestling ring. Ask New Jack; nothing's going to happen. <laughs> well, I guess you can't ask New Jack now. <laughs> oh, that's true. This is the uh, I love. I always get a huge kick out of movies that that basically that that are both saying 
I don't know if this really does or not, but they both kind of say that wrestling's fake, but it's also real at the same time. Oh, yeah. You it's know? definitely in that and, vein. And this is like, that's hilarious. Like somebody can die in the <laughs> wrestling ring and it's fair play. It's not even a crime. It's like, yeah, that happened. You know, that's what happens every Friday. You never know. Not only does he die, but as he dies, the championship is then vacated. And uh, you have like the Vince McMahon type of character of this uh, of this organization walking out. And the only question they're asking is, what's going to happen with the title? <laughs> they don't even give a shit about the decapitated wrestler's body uh, at ringside. And uh, and then it pauses there and we cut to the director of the documentary named Leslie Uggams. Yes, that's oh. his name. And he says that his passion has always been for wrestling. And he says this quote, he says, ever since I was a young child and walked into my parents' bedroom and my father said, get out of here, we're wrestling. Frankly, I've been <laughs> fascinated by it. I would too, actually, I suppose. Actually, I'd probably be appalled. What am I saying? I'd probably <laughs> if, if if I walked into my parents and, and and they said that that we're just we're wrestling, get out of here. I'd be like, oh god, I'd never want to watch wrestling ever again. <laughs> well, that that wasn't the case for Leslie Uggams. Yes, I mean this is uh, it's an absolute mess. But this, th I think they were going for like this is Spinal Tap. Sure, it's just it's a time capsule of 1985's rock and wrestling and. Uh, for a wrestling movie, there are a ton of wrestlers in here. It's 85, actually, too. That's pretty incredible, given given how the boom was at its infancy. Yeah, and it doesn't have any super famous wrestlers. I think the one wrestler that, well, there's really two that will be familiar to big-time wrestling fans. Uh, Dan Spivey, who wrestled sure. in the WWF for a long time. And then exotic Adrian Street, who never got to the WWF, but uh, is probably pretty well-known amongst big wrestling fans. Yeah. I, I, I want to say though that the whole death thing though, also reminds me, do you know, do you know Ox Baker, the wrestler Ox Baker? Oh my gosh. I've, I've heard the name, but I don't, yeah. I couldn't name a match. He was, yeah, that's fine. He was, but I just want to say that. So he, he was a, a wrestler like, you know, 60s, 70s. And he had his, his big move was the heart punch, just punching right in the chest. And, I, I bring it up because he would claim he would claim that he killed five men with this move. And, and people did, people did kind of die per se, but not, not directly related to, to him and his, and his punch. It was happened like a week later, you know, they'd have, they'd have the match and he'd do the hard punch win. And then a week later, the guy died. Wow. But I'm like, I'm like, so, so he's claiming this on television in his promos. And nobody's arresting him. He's admitting this, that he is that he has committed multiple homicides on TV and he's OK with it. And nobody's arresting him. <laughs> Can I just add that I, I looked up Ox Baker and he died in 2014 of a heart attack? Is that, Isn't that a great? Isn't that great? <laughs> That's How just ironic. Yeah. Um, I last thing I'll say about this. Well, a couple things I'll say. There's a character named the mask who looks like an early prototype of the kiss demon WCW thing, which is mm -hmm. kind of fun. Uh, he also at one point wins a match because his valet shows the other team her tits. Oh and God. there are light rock songs sprinkled throughout this movie about wrestling. Uh, and the titles are wrestling tonight and the breaking bones, which is actually performed by exotic Adrian street. I, I don't know what to say.
I cannot wait until you feature this on Under the Cinemat. Uh, yeah. And <laughs> I'm going to get your thoughts then, I, I suppose. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to do like a, a follow-up at some point. Yes. Uh, <laughs> All right, my friend, J.P. Sorrow, what's number five on your list? Number five, Night and the City. The next 120 seconds bring you more action and excitement than most people experience in a lifetime. Rushing at fever pitch out of the night in the city comes the best-selling novel that intrigued millions, Gerald Kirsch's startling story of London after dark, Night and the City. An intimate and intense picture of a city and the intruders in the night who live and love and hate under cover of its darkness. This is a, a uh, 1940s film noir uh, directed by Jules Dassin, maybe 50s, actually, 50s film noir. Um, Jules Dassin, and it actually features two professional wrestlers from way back in the day and is about professional wrestling, which wow. you kind of, uh, you sit there and, and it's it's mind-boggling that a movie from the 50s is, is talking about wrestling. Um, and it stars uh, uh, Stanislaus Zabisco, and also Mike Mazurki, who was one of the founders of the uh, the uh, the Cauliflower Alley Club, the you know the wrestling uh, club in LA. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, I know who Mazurki is because he was in okay. fucking Dick Tracy. Oh yeah, yeah, he's in Dick. That was his last movie. Was Dick Tracy? Yeah. Um, and and Night in the City is this beautiful. Uh, we we did it on Cinemat, which is one of the reasons why I, I became so infatuated with it because it talked. Jules Dassin was a was one of the filmmakers who was who was named during during um, the Blacklist era. Oh, so he this was kind of his 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 scapegoat, so to speak. Like he was about to be named, and a producer said, "Go take this movie, go shoot it in London, make the movie," and. So it, there's a lot of of, of unique feeling uh, uh, in this movie, and 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 Jules Dassin, just a, a phenomenal artist who, um, you know, unfortunately, just during that awful time period, got totally screwed. And yeah, uh, uh, the movie itself is about a uh, uh, he's like a con artist, and. He decides he see he goes to a wrestling match and he discovers that wrestling could be a great way to make money and so he tries to basically con his way into getting the top wrestler um, and to make Stanislaus Abisko the top wrestler and defeat Mike Mazurki and it all kind of builds back and forth between the two. Uh, uh, you got uh, oh God, I can't think of his name. I'm sorry, Widmark. Widmark, thank you. Richard Widmark is the lead guy. And he's battling with like the lead promoter's son and it just goes back and forth and back and forth leading ultimately to a, a, a private skirmish between Stanislaus Abisko, Mike Mazurski, Mike Mazurki in, in a ring. And they have this absolutely incredible wrestling match that is hard hitting. It is, it is fierce looking, you know, it's hard to do wrestling in the movies. I've noticed. Right. To make it look le- to make it look, I mean, I say legit, to make it look as <laughs> legit as possible, <laughs> you know, and still kind of get across that it's wrestling, because I always it always looks so fake, even faker than normal, <laughs> right? You know, you ever watch if you ever, anytime you watch a wrestling movie, it always just looks so much faker than it actually is. 
Yeah. Um, and, but this one is so is so well done. It's so well edited. It's so well shot. It's a beautiful movie um, with classic film noir shadows and harsh lighting. And it's, it's really tremendous. I, I, I would definitely recommend, especially if you're a fan of film noir, go out of your way to see it. Cause it is, it's not a, it's not a corny wrestling movie. It's not ready to rumble. It's like a, a movie that takes its subject seriously and stuff you know wow that's a great recommendation one i haven't seen is do they treat wrestling like it is a real thing or like it is scripted they treat it like it's a real thing but they kind of treat it they they treat it like it's a real thing but it's not it's not (laughs) it's not people getting their head copped cut off right right (laughs) you know It, it definitely has a more athletic feel to it okay so, so treats it more like a boxing. Yeah, because it, it, it's like the 50s where it was more, you know, there there was, uh, uh, the lines were blurred more heavily. Sure. You know, people weren't doing these crazy moves where you obviously need your opponent's assistance in su- successfully completing the move. <laughs> you know, it was more punches, headlocks, arm locks, you know, stuff that that was more believable. Got it. Okay. Yeah, man, this is a great recommendation. And uh, I feel like you're starting your list off a lot stronger than than mine. Just wait. Yeah, mine's about to just get even more depraved here with my number four. Uh, My number four is, let's see, it's definitely the newest movie on my list. And it's from 2013. I had to put Mm -hmm. a rock movie on here. Because oh, yeah. I do like The Rock as an actor. I think he's a great action star. There, There's a couple Rock movies that I really like. Fast Five is one of them, but it's not on my list because I've just talked about it so much on this show. I have a soft spot for the uh, Furious movies, which is, yeah, I they're, they're fun. I went through them for the first time, like all all of them. I haven't watched the most recent one yet, but uh, I, I have a, a digital copy of it. But I, um, I watched the first eight earlier in the summer. Yeah, and they're fun. They're they just are. a fun bunch of movies and how they the, the evolution of them is is stupid. It's so great. <laughs> I can't wait until they have like a crossover with the Avengers. Yeah, right. Seriously, they need to do that. No, this one is not Fast Five. It is my favorite rock performance, though. Okay. And it comes in Michael Bay's Pain and Gain. What's going on, Dio? Hey, we just get tired of being where you are, Adrian. No. I kind of like it here. I mean, the weights are new to I mean, in life, man. When's the last time you paid your rent when it was due? I got a plan to change that. Where'd you do your time, pal? Up north. Are you fixed for a job now? You just can't kidnap a guy and take his things. That's so illegal. Well, sure we can. Victor Kershaw is a criminal prick who deserves bad stuff to happen to him. Go through with this. Nobody gets hurt, right? Oh man, we snatch him. There he is. We grab him. He signs a few signatures. We give him a protein shake. You don't even know what happened. I watched a lot of movies, Paul. I know what I'm doing. The Sun Jim Gang has successfully acquired every asset you had. What happens now? Now I go to work. Daniel Lugo, manager of the Sun Gym in 1990s Miami, decides there is only one way to achieve his version of the American dream, and that is extortion. And to mm. achieve his goal, he recruits two muscle men named Paul and Adrian as accomplices. But of course, 
This is a movie, and their schemes go horribly wrong. Michael Bay, as a filmmaker, is not subdued. He is not mature. But this definitely feels like small-scale Michael Bay without losing the excesses that he's known for. And he's known for, like, giant explosions and car chases. But this time we've got the excess of rich, upper-class Miami. Like, just fucking silk shirts, strippers, cocaine, fast cars, big houses, sweaty muscle men, and just an inordinate amount of stupidity. And it highlights the lowest of the low in this comic depravity that I think is so fun. It's like... Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the the TV show Always Sunny in Philadelphia, but it's like if all four characters were Mac, (laughs) different versions (laughs) of Mac. Um, Now, this is based on a true story, which Michael Bay continuously tells us throughout this movie, like literally on the bottom of the screen, it'll say like still a true story. Um, But I mean, we already believe it that it's true because it takes place in Florida. It's got a great cast Mark Wahlberg plays the manager of the Sun Gym. Anthony Mackie plays Adrian. Ed Harris is in here. Tony Shalhoub's in here. But The Rock is the standout actor in this film. And I think it's one of his most complex characters in a believable role. Because I think that filmmakers have tried to put The Rock into these complex roles. And they treat it like an everyman kind of role. Like, I don't know if you ever saw the the 2013 movie Snitch. I, I haven't. I haven't yet. It's like they try to put him in the movie as this everyman, but he's the fucking rock. He's built like a brick shithouse. When you see a guy whose shoulders literally go like from a wall to another wall, <laughs> there's nothing everyman about him. He's a, he's a, he's a, a beast. Yeah. An he's a, he's an absolute monster. But in this role, he's a gym rat. He's like <laughs> expected to be this meaty son of a bitch. And I think that's why it works. And we get to see him go from cokehead to Jesus Freak, back to Cokehead, and it is so funny along the way. I think this is such an entertaining movie from beginning to end. And if you've if you're sick of like the family friendly Jumanji, Jungle yeah. Cruise rock, you get to see him snort coke off of a stripper's ass and barbecue severed human hands on a Coleman grill in this film. I gotta go back and rewatch this. It's I, so I fun. It one time, and I don't remember being what you're what you're talking about sounds amazing but i do not recall when i watched it being amazed by any of this (laughs) now you have to go in with with the mindset of like i'm gonna watch a really stupid movie it never takes itself seriously and it's one of those films that you're want to you're gonna want to get some papst for you're gonna want to get that blue ribbon flowing for this one my friend you need that college beer for for a college movie how about that exactly so uh pain and gain highly recommended as my number four I gotta go. Yeah, I, see, I, I will admit I am a, I'm a big Michael Bay fan, and I, I am know, too. I I think I think I mean I'm not as much of a fan as more of, of his more recent work, but I'll tell you, his early stuff in the mid to late '90s I think mm-hmm. is so much fun. I I always wanted him like I I was like his visual style is is unlike any other. I know people go crazy and like, oh my god, all the cuts and da da. da. But but th- there there's there's something rhythmically satisfying about the way his movies flow, and I, I've always I've I, I've always been a huge fan. And I actually became a bigger fan when I was in college, and was like, this is this guy's no dummy. Like, yeah, he 
he knows what he is, he knows what he wants to do, and he knows what he can get away with. And he's doing it, and he's making tons of money doing it. Oh so, my God, who, I know. really, who's the fucking idiot? The, you know, the guy who's making the movies or all of us who are paying to go see the movies, yet criticizing him for making, for doing all this excessive stuff. So, good for him. I, I agree. The Bad Boys and the Rock, or Bad Boys and the Rock are like, just a great one-two action punch. And I, I don't know if you've seen, uh, have you seen his latest movie, Six Underground? No, I haven't seen that one. It is incredibly stupid, but the first 20 minutes is one long car chase. And it is one of the mm. most brutal, insane car chases that I've ever seen. Uh, there's also a scene in the back half of that movie that's phenomenal. Watch it just for those two scenes All right. alone. All right. I'll take a look at it. Yeah, I, 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 I feel like he got a little lost with the Transformers movies. Oh, yeah. I Only because I feel like he... I don't know. He he didn't make a lot of his own stuff when he was making those Transformers movies. And that was a shame. Yeah, that's I'll, kind of why Pain and Gain was like a break from yeah, that stuff for right, him. Right. There's like fucking the five Transformers movies. No, seriously. Like, come on, dude. <laughs> uh, All right, boy. JP, number four for you. Number four. And you might not see this one coming. Die Hard. It's Christmas Eve in L.A. California. Is Daddy coming home, soon? Well, we'll see what Santa and Mommy can do, okay? A New York cop, John McLean, has come to see his wife. I missed you. Instead, he's going to have to save her. Sit down. Within this skyscraper high above the city, 12 terrorists have declared war. They're about to be taught a lesson in the real there is brilliant because I am interested in the six hundred and forty million dollars in your vault. As they are ruthless. But I'm telling you, you're just gonna have to kill me. Okay. We do it the hard way. Now, the last thing McLean wants. Think, damn it, think. Is to be a hero. Where's Howie? Hey, Tucker! Where? But he doesn't have a choice. What does he think he's doing? <laughs> John. Original Die Hard features a man by the name of Wilhelm von Homburg, who plays one of the German terrorists with uh, with Alan Rickman. He uh, um, he is the actor who also played Vigo the Carpathian in Ghostbusters Two. If you know, oh, okay, yeah, same guy, and he doesn't have he has like maybe one or two lines. He's featured quite a bit. I'd say he gets about. Maybe ten to fifteen minutes of screen time in Die Hard, um, but he's there. I count it, and I love Die Hard. It's my number one Christmas movie, my number one alternative Christmas movie, I should say. Um, and his story, his real life story, is so absurd. He and his dad um, were a tag team in the uh, late fifties, early sixties, and they wrestled Madison Square Garden. Um, oh, wow. they were I think the Vikings, something like something Vikings. And, um, they, you know, he, he, he did a lot of this stuff. He, he born and, and raised during, um, you know, the Nazi regime and just was forced into, uh, uh, into, uh, uh signing up for the, the, the Nazi air force and just like, Jesus, his, his story is, is just ab. Absurd. 
and then he became a boxer and he had a whole documentary made up made it was a german documentary that was that was made uh about him about i think like 10 years ago and uh was it de prince something or other and he it's it, he's a dark dark man just <laughs> so troubled and he 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 had this this terrible relationship with his sister and just was didn't he had he was estranged from his father at one point and his father died his sister didn't tell him for a while and he was so pissed that <laughs> when he died himself he told his friend don't tell my sister for a month <laughs> god damn that's a boss move yeah. right there not a boss move like you but a boss move not in general. at all <laughs> but uh die hard i mean if you if you haven't seen die hard you know i mean yeah, get what are you here. doing listening to this show it's 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 just a just one of the great one of the great timeless action moves even though the technology is ridiculously dated the the movie itself is just completely timeless and and i get so much fun watching it every year around christmas time i agree this is a staple in my household at christmas time as well and really ushered in a new generation of action movies where we had a vulnerable protagonist versus yes. like the arnold schwarzenegger style action movie exactly it was it was such a you know bruce the poor guy it's bruce willis you know he he's too bad he's kind of a dick <laughs> yeah that's <laughs> you know, an understatement he was so I actually recently went back and watched uh the Moonlighting, the his TV show that, yeah. that got him to this to Die Hard. And he's so he's so good on that show. And he's so funny and he's so down to earth that it's like something happened, something switched in his brain, and he just I feel I really feel that that's why his career never really went the places that it should, because he just he turned into a dick. Supposedly. Yeah, it just seems like he doesn't give a shit about acting anymore. Yeah, or anything, really. <laughs> I would love to see what he's like at the catering table. <laughs> <laughs> you need that? Oh, man. <laughs> you need that? Okay. Okay. Fuck it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's literally turned into his character at the beginning of The Last Boy Scout. It's <laughs> <laughs> that's that's his character arc in real life he's turned into uh oh what the yeah. what was his name oh i can't i know it i know it i just watched it too like last year I think. uh joe hallenbeck joe joe hallenbeck yeah he's turned into joe without the hair sadly <laughs> that hair is so spectacular in that movie Oh my gosh, Die Hard. How can I follow up Die Hard? Uh, the real answer with what's left on my list is that I can't. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so I'm going to go. I'm going to get some swerves in there because there, there's some, there's some, a lot of movies you would not figure have, have wrestlers. Yeah. Um, well, this one is really, really tailored toward me. Uh, this is one that I don't yeah. think most people are going to get a whole lot out of. But me as a kid, God, I love this movie. Uh, it comes from 1986 or 87 in that area. 
Let me ask you this, JP. We were born the same year, 1981. Were you a fan of G.I. Joe? Oh, fuck yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, yes. America's number one superhero team explodes in the home video screen in their very first major motion picture blockbuster, G.I. Joe the Movie. Premiering exclusively on home video, this brand new multi-million dollar film extravaganza is a masterpiece in mind-blowing animation techniques that make this feature unlike any G.I. Joe you've ever seen. G.I. Joe is awesome. And I, uh, that movie, we just, we did it. We did it a couple months ago on, on Cinemat. And, and I'll tell you, it is, I don't care what anyone says. It is a, such a, a, a well done movie. It is. It's yeah. Good movie. And it's a fun cartoon. It's dark. It's, it's grittier than the show. And it's, it's just great. That opening title sequence is, is bonkers. Oh my God. Yeah. And I have that in my notes here. Uh, G.I. Joe, the movie, 1987, I believe it came out. We, as as kids growing up in the early 80s, we had some fantastic envelope-pushing kids' movies, like Transformers. Holy. I rewatched that recently. God damn, like, yeah. holy shit, what a, what a ride that was. It's so, it's so, you know that they, you know that, that Transformers directly influenced the creative on G.I. Joe. Oh, 100%. 100%. Yeah, that, especially the with the that, ending. The fact that, that, that he died, that Prime dies, they're like, we can't have Duke die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You got to change that. He can't die. You got to have some comment at the end where someone goes on that thing and says, die, yeah, he's going to be fine. He's going to be okay. Despite the fact <laughs> that he absolutely dies. Oh, <laughs> yeah. He is a snake spear right through his heart. Um, but the- <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. I was just going to say, the, and, and it's a shame because I feel like, so this, the movie, w- again, suffered from Transformers doing so poorly at the box office that this never got released in theaters. No, straight to video. Straight to video. It's such a, it's such a shame. If they'd reversed it, if they put this first before Transformers, it would have been, I think it would have it been great and, and w- phenomenal. But I agree. But People would have been like shuttling off. kids there all day long to the theater um like you i was a big gi joe fan i watched the cartoon constantly i had the toys i had like all of these toys and i went to my buddy josh Barr's house and he had the vhs tape for gi joe the movie and it was like there's a movie yeah we tossed this thing in and like you said just that intro was it's one of the best intros of all time i will stand by that it is like a new theme song. If you're used to the G.I. Joe theme song, this is an awesome different theme song. And it actually has to do with the plot. Like it, yeah. it outlines why Cobra Commander is basically on the run after this. And it's got this uh, battle around the the Statue of Liberty. Oh, it's fucking great. I mean, it's kind of a weird, it's kind of a weird, uh, uh, you know, terrorist attack, like to to go after the Statue of Liberty. They're not really going after anything besides a visual victory there because <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah we really just like okay i mean i i guess you blow up the statue of liberty but nothing's gonna happen but okay 
the the wrestler here that is featured is Sergeant Slaughter. Oh. And in the it's so great in the uh, in the credits it says Sergeant Slaughter as Sergeant Slaughter. I love that. I love that he's not even like credited as himself. It's Sergeant Slaughter as Sergeant Slaughter as his character. Now I never liked him as a wrestler, but for some reason I always thought he was kind of uh, a cool character as a GI Joe. And I think yeah, it comes down to badass. the toys. Yeah, he was. He was a badass. And uh, I don't know if you've ever, you know, the G.I. Joe figures used to come with those cards on the back. Yes. It's like a little yes. bio. It's so great. And his bio, I don't know if you ever read his bio, but it says that he cleans his teeth with barbed wire and shaves using a blowtorch. Everything everywhere is a battlefield for Sergeant Slaughter. You don't do that? I do that. I use a blowtorch. Um, I use the barbed wire, but I've never been able to grow a beard, so blowtorch doesn't matter for me. <laughs> Just to outline the plot, for those who don't know, uh, this is about an ancient society of Sorry, snake people. Oh, yeah, and you should be, because it's a great movie. This ancient society of snake people known as Cobra Law come up from the ground to forcefully take back the earth. Um, like, look, you, you watch it now, of course, it's an hour and a half long toy ad. Yeah. But yes. as I mean, as a kid, you don't care. And even now, I mean, like you said, it's a great movie. Very high, surprisingly dramatic stakes. Yeah, uh, it's blood. blood yeah, blood. that was crazy. I, I, I sat there with my eye, with my jaw to the floor when I saw it the first time because it was blood. Yep. I was the same yeah. way. It was just lasers. It was just lasers and, and like vehicles blowing up. But the guys always got out of the vehicles at the last split second. And this one you had blood and uh just to add something to the movie when it played on tv you would get like a a two-minute intro by sergeant slaughter and he would also do the outro which which i always thought was pretty cool i'm sergeant slaughter and i got some real hairy action head your way action that would send most guys screaming for their mama but then the joes ain't most guys are they that is pretty yeah that was pretty cool i i i (laughs) I was thinking, as you were saying that, one thing I got thinking about is about, about Sergeant Slaughter. You know, the reason why I think he just, he worked as a as a G.I. Joe. Yes, the figures, but also he's portrayed as this giant muscle man. But then when you see him in real life, he's just, he's a fat mess. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's <laughs> true. take this clown seriously when, he, when, when his cartoon is much more interesting than the man is. And he's got, and the cartoon has hair. Not, you know, nothing against anyone you know, losing their hair, but it's a, it's a juxtaposition when you see fake slaughter or cartoon slaughter with real fake slaughter. Yeah, if you see real Sergeant Slaughter out in the streets, he looks like somebody who'd probably be behind the counter at a Home Depot versus like somebody who'd be training GI Joes. But- yeah, I cannot imagine him him you know with the Renegades and all them you know training with these tough guys. Yeah, exactly. He's he's restocking the Home Depot. Exactly. Oh my gosh. I'm glad that you share my same love for G.I. Joe the movie at number three. What is your number three? Raiders of the Lost Ark. Everybody is thrilled by it. Everybody talks about it. Everybody loves it. Because it will always be fun. Indiana Jones is back in Raiders of the Lost Ark. The return of the great adventure. Trust me. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Pat Roach. Pat Roach, uh, who plays the mechanic. Again, I, 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 I mean, 
I assume your listeners would know Raiders of the Lost Ark. God, I hope so. God, yeah. But um, Pat Roach, he plays the mechanic, the bald mechanic who has that epic fight with with Indiana Jones. Yeah, stunt performer. Um, obviously, he's in all all three of the well, yeah, all three of the Indiana Jones movies. That's I'll, I'll keep it at that. I'm, I don't mind saying that. And uh, he's in Willow, a bunch of you know, bunch of movies. And he he spent some time as a professional wrestler, and it's on the list. It's on the list. And honestly, I, I grew up watching Raiders of the Lost Ark. It was one of my favorites as a kid. I can watch that movie anytime now and just be totally, totally at ease in all the excitement. It's so good. Yeah, I mean, what else can I add to uh, to an Indiana Jones film? This dude had a, actually a pretty long career in Hollywood, and he was in yeah. like the Conan oh, yeah. movie, um, the the bad Conan movie, and uh, Red Sanja as well. He was, and he also was in. Um, he's in uh, uh, a Kubrick film, Barry Lyndon. Oh Jesus! Yep, yep. Did not realize that. Yeah, <laughs> Pat Roach made the rounds. Made worked with Kubrick like, and Spielberg. Jesus. Yeah, I know, right? Unreal. And and uh, uh, I, you couldn't get away with it in in today's climate. Nor should you. Nor should you have been able to get away with it in in the eighties either. But the fact that that he is so unrecognizable from playing the mechanic in Raiders to that big brute uh, uh, of a cultist in Temple of Doom is so mm. awesome. So awesome. <laughs> He's, I mean, it doesn't look anything like him, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's crazy what they, the kind of makeup they did and the, you know, awful makeup job. Man, you get some, oh, some really good movies on your list. Really good movies. I, I, you know, these, again, I, I, uh, been fortunate enough in the last year or so to be able to get these weird, find out these weird movies and add them all to the, the cinemat list. Well, I've got uh, at number two, one of my favorite sci-fi movies of all time. This is also from 1987, The Running Man. America's number one action hit is hitting the holidays. Arnold is at his best. Fans start running, says Joel Siegel of Good Morning America. Showtime. The best Schwarzenegger movie since The Terminator, says Michael Wilmington, LA Times. Arnold Schwarzenegger is The Running Man. I'll be back. The Running Man. Rated R, now playing. Oh, yes! Oh, yes! Great. Great movie. Uh, this is about a dystopian America, and there's this TV show called The Running Man. It's a game show in which convicts, they're called runners, must battle trained killers for their freedom. And uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger plays Ben Richards, who is falsely accused of murdering a bunch of civilians. So he is a guest star on The Running Man. This is a fantastic sci-fi movie. It was directed by um, Starsky from Starsky and Hutch. Oh, no kidding. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, look, Arnold Schwarzenegger in 1987, like just phenomenal shape running through this TV set. Oh. You've got one of the best evil game show hosts ever in uh, Damon Killian, played by Richard Dawson. He is so great in this role. He's and so I think great. when I saw this movie, it appealed to me because of a couple of reasons. Number one, it feels like a video game and and there are stages to it. 
and it feels like a real version of American gladiators. You have like these small team of criminals. They're, they're all kinds of colorful characters. You've got Buzzsaw and Sub-Zero, who's like a hockey player who uh, skates on. He's like a razor sharp skates. Um, Fireball Dynamo. He's like this fucking light bright guy rolling around singing opera. It's ridiculous. And finally, the last boss, Captain Freedom, played by the one and only Jesse Ventura. Yeah, I am your third party candidate. <laughs> the United States, I was, you know, I was in two Arnold Schwarzenegger films. Proudly, The Running Man and Predator, big stars. <laughs> Jesse, I'm glad you brought that up because for me, it was a really tough choice. Like, do I bring up The Running Man or do I bring up Predator? Running Man is so much fun. It's so, it's so goofy. It's like, yeah. I mean, it's like, it's like professional wrestling, really. You know, you think about these colorful characters. It's, it's, it's a, a great depiction of that. hundred percent. And that's one and of the I'm, reasons why I chose it. I'm a late bloomer when it comes to the running man. Oh yeah. I, you know, yeah. I, I, um, you know, a lot of, so many friends of mine grew up obviously watching Schwarzenegger films and, and all these R-rated movies, but my, my, my mom was pretty kind of strict at the time. And I could, the only time I could get away with watching an R-rated movie was if I was at a friend's house whose parents didn't care. And that just didn't happen all the time. And so I didn't watch Running Man until my mid-20s, I'm going to say. And it, I, I, I love stupid Schwarzenegger films. I, I love them. I think they're <laughs> right great. Right there with they're, you. Those mid, that mid-80 boom of his is just relentless with with amazing amazing stuff yeah yeah and in that period ventura is like one of a handful of people that you could see taking on arnold yes. in a feat of yeah. brute strength because he was in great shape here i he like stole, his stole the body <laughs> that's true uh there's a couple of reasons why i really like this fight between ventura and schwarzenegger number one he as a character as captain freedom he is like, this is a sport of death and honor, code of the gladiators. I'm not going to beat him with any fucking cheap tricks. I'm going head to head with him. And they do. Like, he goes head to head in a very lo-fi arena compared to the rest of the arenas that you see in this movie. It's literally an octagon with barbed wire ropes and a spike wall. Plus, we get the amazing exercise program in the background of a scene. <laughs> Jesse Ventura exercise commercial. Oh, so good. He's wearing the tight. First of all, that hair. <laughs> yeah. That hair is absurd. I can see it in my <laughs> head right now. But it's just, it's so crazy, especially when you're used to seeing bald Jesse. Yeah. Seeing him with all these, like, you know, all these women in their, in their, their 80s workout attire. It's so amazing. He just, he fits right in there. <laughs> he really does. His hair is just flopping around. Get more, like more Schwarzenegger films after that, after both of them, because they both came out the same year: Predator and, and Running Man. Yep, I, and he's phenomenal in both. I agree. Oh, what's the problem? Come on, put him in uh, Last Action Hero. Oh my gosh! So that's my number two. We're getting down to the final picks. Number two for you. Sure. Number two, and this is my rock pick. Oh. This is my rock pick. It, it is. I I I love this movie. I I can watch it all the time. I think he's great in it. I think it was a great chance for him to really shine as a non 
Scorpion King entity, The Rundown. Man, I do not want to hurt them. In a bad business, I do not want to fight. But even good men, we are not fighting. Get pushed too far. Try to be reasonable. This Friday, see the movie that marks the arrival of The Rock. I'm impressed. As a bona fide movie star. Do you work out? Two thumbs up for the rundown. Rated PG-13 at theaters Friday. I love this movie. I think it's so stupid, but it's so much fun. <laughs> I think he's so charismatic. Um, if you haven't seen it, it's it's The Rock plays. I think he calls himself a retrieval, a retrieval expert, and he's hired to go uh, uh, by by this man to get his son, who's played by Sean William Scott, and in doing so, he gets engulfed in this entire uh, 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 this little mini city of of that's being controlled by Christopher Walken, wearing this. Oh my god, I forgot he was in this. He wears this ridiculous hat. Um, Rosario Dawson's in it. They have to go get this gold cat eventually at some point, and it's just these this guy, this this wannabe chef played by The Rock, who just wants to get this guy, get his cash, and call it a day. But instead, he gets completely involved. Uh, uh, unwillingly in these, in these, this crazy adventure. And I, you know, I remember going to the theater, Jack and I saw this together. Actually, we saw this together and we went to the theater and we both went there to hate it. We went to hate it. <laughs> and cause you did, you know, that was kind of the thing. Like we, th- there is a, there is a, 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 a real negative trope with with hardcore wrestling fans and that you don't want to see your your heroes succeed someplace else because that means they're probably not going to come back to wrestling and so we wanted this to be a bad movie we wanted it to 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 flop but i mean it did flop actually but it 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 was still it was well received and it's it's a fun movie i don't know if you agree or not you know, it's been a very long time since I've seen the rundown and I actually considered rewatching that and walking tall for this list. But when I was like, OK, uh, pain and gain's got to be on here. I didn't yeah. bother. But God, you're making me want to watch it again. I think it's I think it's fun. I think I just I saw it. Uh, well, Jack and I just watched it because we did this one as well a couple months ago. It's just a fun, a fun romp. And, you know, it was a chance for rock to really to really show what he could do as an actor. And I think his performance in this is as good as some of his now a days, you know, I think he's definitely improved a lot of ways, but you could tell that he was, he was going to be huge by his performance in this movie. I'm going to have to give this another shot. I think this was also like a kind of a coming out party for uh, Sean William Scott. Cause I think up to this sure. point, he was really just known as Stifler. And he still kind of is. Yeah, I don't think he's ever <laughs> kicked that. Can't take him seriously in anything. Oh, God. All right, grand finale here. Grand finale, my number one uh, on movies that feature wrestlers. This is one that I brought up on a previous episode. And so it probably is not a secret that this is going to be my number one. I think this is a fantastic movie from the late 80s, directed by the amazing. John Carpenter. Of course, this is 1989's They Live. From John Carpenter. 
They control what you see. We have been lulled into a trance. They decide what you hear. Wake up! They're all about you, all around you. You think they're people, just like you. What do these things want, and why are they here? You're wrong. Dead wrong. John Carpenter's They Live, rated R. Starring one Roddy Piper. Uh, this is about, really focuses mostly on Piper, who is a wanderer. He's looking for work. He walks into Los Angeles in one of those famous carpenter shots where you get a sense of the area as you see a character walking away from the camera. And uh, he plays a character named Nada, which is just kind of weird. But he uh, he finds through the plot, you, you find these I, pair I have, of sunglasses. I will say in defense of the name, that was the name of the character in the original short story. Yeah, I should mention that this is what was the short story like eight, uh, eight minutes eight to some. Eight, eight o'clock in the morning. I think you're right. Eight o'clock in the morning. Yep. So he discovers this pair of sunglasses and these glasses show the world the way it truly is. And you see all these advertisements become unmasked and it shows you exactly what they intend because there have been aliens that have come down and taken over Earth, but we don't even know it. And you can see the aliens with these glasses and they just look terrifying. Um, You can see like a preview of what they look like on the box art for this film. But uh, it is a really, really good movie. And I think it's even better now because so much more relevant now than it was then. Yeah, it's so prescient. Uh, It focuses on the wealthy at the top, using the lower and middle class to their gain while pushing the middle class further down as the wealth gap widens. That's pretty fucking accurate in today's climate. I would say that it's very accurate, yeah. Yeah, and I I think that Roddy Piper brings this, like, aloof simpleton quality to this main character that is meant to be this blue-collar guy, but it's it's actually really endearing. He's a very patient guy, and finally he gets pushed to his limits, and he starts just taking these guys out. Uh, It's also got one of the funniest bro fights in the history of cinema. You've got uh, Roddy Piper versus Keith David, and they just beat the ever-loving shit out of each other in this alleyway, and they're friends. And during this fight, we get to see a belly-to-back suplex and a windmill suplex, and we also get to see Piper use the clothesline against a cop. Uh, There's only really one complaint I have against They Live, and it's that I feel like the ending is rushed, and I've always hated what they did with Keith David's character. But yeah, just, uh right, right. I'm just kind of yeah. Yeah, but it's it's a great movie and it has a great quote. It says the go- it's by Keith David. He says, "I know about the golden rule. He who has the gold makes the rules." And that's kind of <laughs> fitting when you think about wrestling, isn't it? It's, it's very it is very fitting. <laughs> I uh, would say so. I can't agree with you more. I think this movie is is fantastic. I I I you know you know Carpenter is a is an old school wrestling fan, like from way back in the day. He was wrestling a lot actually in in in, in many of his films, and I love you know I think it's so epic that he met Roddy Piper the weekend of WrestleMania. Like he went to WrestleMania three. John Carpenter went to WrestleMania three. <laughs> That's with amazing. Like how? Like what? John Carpenter was part of the ninety three thousand. Like that's 
absurd. But he he was there and met, and they and they met and they talked and he's like, yeah, I want to put you in the movie. And I think that's so that's so cool. And and Carpenter's just I I I, lo- I love Carpenter's work. Oh yeah, he's a legend. Early work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not so much. Not so much as now work. Whenever that happens, the rarity. And it is it is it is creepy, kind of seeing how the world has really gotten more towards the the society and they live than away from it. Yeah, I think he's. I think he said the '80s has never died. I think Carpenter said. Well, that's proof. That is proof. My number one, they live. Put on they live or start eating that trash can. That's what I say. (laughs) (laughs) JP, grand finale, what do you got? This, I don't think, will be regarded as a number one by many people. Oh, boy. One of my all-time favorite movies. I think it's one of the funniest movies. Um, I used to watch this movie... As a kid, every day after school, I'd watch it, I'd rewind the videotape, and I'd watch it again. The guy who's in it wasn't in the VHS copy, though. I didn't know about that until much later. <laughs> this is Gremlins 2, the yes. new bat, featuring Hulk Hogan. Gizmo, he's cute. That furry thing? He's cuddly. He's quick. But this time, he's caught in a new bunch of trouble. Uh-oh. With a new batch of gremlins. <laughs> now, he's mad. And he's not going to take it anymore. Gremlins 2, the new batch, rated PG-13. Yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know. So, when... So, it's Gremlins 2. It's... it's. Uh, <laughs> It's Gremlins, but on a on a in in New York City, and uh, in a big building, a smart building, and it's you know it's basically the exact same plot of the of the first one, but on a much grander scale and a much more postmodern, bizarre scale. Yeah, it's so wacky. Watching, so I didn't, I never saw this in the movie theater. I never saw the movie theater. I saw it the first time was on VHS, and so I watch it, and the scene that features Hulk Hogan is not in the movie. And I didn't know that. I didn't know that it was supposed to be there. I see his name in the end. And this is right around the time I became a big wrestling fan when I, when I was watching this movie. And so I see the name Hulk Hogan in the credits. I'm like, what the fuck? Where is he? So I'm like, every time I would watch the movie, I'd be like looking in the background for like, maybe he does like a little walk on. That's just, I miss every single time. Maybe not he voices Gizmo. That, right, right. Not, <laughs> not knowing that, you know, he's he's going to, he, he's Hulk Hogan. He's not just going to be, they, they don't credit people who walk in the background, JP, okay? They, you know, they, extras don't get credit. And so uh, it wasn't until college when I bought the DVD of it and I watched the DVD and all of a sudden the real scene from the movie is on the DVD. Because instead, so they, in the, in the, in, on the VHS version, they they cater it to VHS and they and they make it about video distortion and and uh, you know make it about losing the signal and they show old like news clips and stuff like that. It's it's uh, it's funny, but in the theatrical release, they they the 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 Gremlins invade a movie theater. I'm sorry, I'm not even setting it up right. I'm, I apologize. I'm like 
talking like crazy, but um, the uh, 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 yeah, they the in the, the the gremlins invade the quote unquote the movie theater that you're in watching the movie, yep. and so the the usher comes out like they they treat it like it's all you know the, the film gets burnt and melts and the usher comes out and comes down in the movie and and he goes to Hulk Hogan who's wearing his championship belt. Of course. Happy at the time. And he and he and he Gremlins. Are you guys get out of there, brother? You guys get Gremlins, you know, people come to movie theaters to get hot popcorn and cold sodas, dude. Start the movie, brother. And that's what he does. Something like that. That's not verbatim. Laps Hogan. God damn. I feel so honored now. My life is complete. I can die happy. <laughs> it's he it's so weird. He just fucking cuts a promo in the middle of Gremlins 2. He does. And it's so it's so <laughs> weird. I mean, it's like the movie just keeps on building and building and kind of going off in these weird places and it just makes total sense that of course Hulk Hogan's going to be there. That just makes total sense. Oh my gosh. I was the same way. I didn't know this happened at all until much later on in life. Cause just like you, I wasn't old, old enough to see uh, gremlins two in theaters. And uh, right. man, when I finally did, it was such a weird moment, such a shocker. I, um, I, it was, it was, uh, it was very jarring. Cause I was watching, I was watching the DVD expecting my, my, again, having seen it literally hundreds of times on, on VHS, I instinctively was waiting for this moment to happen that I know is going to happen. All of a sudden the film melts. I'm like, Oh my God, <laughs> what's happening. And it's like, and then Hogan Hogan's there. And it's like, Oh, this is so bizarre. Um, you know that they, um, uh, uh, for the, the novelization of gremlins Two, they even redid that segment, that section of the, of the book to have it be about that. The author got kidnapped. <laughs> no, I've never heard it, that. It, yeah, and it was being written by the brain, by the lead gremlin, the Tony Randall gremlin. Oh, my <laughs> so God. He, was, he took over the writing of that of that particular <laughs> chapter, which I thought was just, I'm like, I got to give him props for for having the balls to, like, change it up as, yeah. as uh, uh, for each for each medium. And that sounds uh, fucking I, hilarious. So funny. I uh, when I lived in when I lived in L.A., I went to a. Um, I went to a double a double feature screening of Gremlins. And Gremlins Two with uh, a Q and A uh, with uh, Joe Dante. In How lucky! It was so cool. It was so cool. And I, I had I had two questions for him. Uh, number one, I'm a huge I'm a huge, um, I'm a huge uh, uh, film score nerd. Yeah. And so um, I asked him what it was like. You know, what his working relationship was like with with uh, uh, Jerry Goldsmith. And his response was, um, what I, he said, whenever there was, I had trouble shooting a scene, I would always just say, it's okay. Jerry will fix it. It's like, that's awesome. And then I had to ask him about Hulk Hogan. (laughs) He didn't have any kind of like, oh, he was such an asshole or anything like that. He said he was very professional and, and did his job. I, I defend Gremlins too. I think Gremlins too is actually a really, really great movie. It's so much fun. It's so bizarre. And it's so great. John Glover. I mean, Jesus Christ. <laughs> He's so good. Yeah. that's a, a Both Gremlins movies are great. But two just goes off the rails in this very meta way that's just so impressive to me that they just, it's like they let him do whatever the hell he wanted 
they, did. they did. It was, it was a weird, it was a weird thing. He, um, so he didn't want to do a sequel. They were Warner brothers at, was after him for, for years to do a sequel. And he said, no, he said, nope, I don't want to do it. And, and finally they were like, look, you can do whatever movie you want. As long as there's a gremlin in it, we don't care. Just <laughs> do it. And so it was like, fine. And so he, he, you know, Joe Dante grew up as a, as a lover of, of Looney Tunes and, and that, and that's what he decided to do. He said, I want to make it one giant Looney Tune movie. And that's what he did. And it's so great. There's, I read a thing that, God, I couldn't find I, the, the book. The only book that has this information is in French. And I have yet to, to get it translated. It's not on digital, but there, there's like, there's some like talk in this French movie book about Joe Dante that 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 Gremlins 2 kind of created some kind of a falling out between he and Spielberg. I couldn't find any more any more like details on it. Like no one else has really written about it, but I was like, oh I gotta get this book and I gotta get it translated. <laughs> Listeners, if you know French and yes. you want to do a little reading, you just let me know and I'll forward the information to JP Sorrow. <laughs> but yeah, it's a great movie. Uh, JP, did you have any honorable mentions that nearly made your list but just couldn't make the cut? I did. I did. They live top of the list. I was actually, yep. it was, it was, I was considering taking Raiders off and putting They Live. That was kind of, uh, but I ended up not being able to do it. I said, Raiders has got to be in there. Princess Bride. Mm, Andre. Um, God. I, I, <laughs> I just watched this movie with my kid. And she, she avoided like she, every time I say, can we watch this movie? I think you're really going to like it. No, no. It looks stupid. I don't want, no, I don't want to see this movie. I said, trust me. And then so one time I was like, you know what? Uh, uh, all right. I'm going to watch a movie. You, you, you do what you're doing. I'm going to watch a movie. And so I put on the princess bride. It's like, what? Don't put that on. I don't want to watch it. I said, you're not watching the movie. I'm watching the movie. And then of course, like, you know, two seconds in, <laughs> She's like stops whatever she's doing and she starts watching the movie with me. It's like, yes, yes. It's a great movie. <laughs> and then lastly, John Carpenter's Escape from New York, which has the aforementioned Oxbow in a wrestling in a wrestling uh, uh, match. All right, uh, my honorable mentions that I couldn't fit on the list. We had uh, Spider Man, which has a Macho oh, yeah. Man cameo, which is great. Boomsaw is ready. <laughs> Bone saw. What are you doing up there? That's <laughs> the best one. You're so angry. What are you doing up there? So angry at that. He's very mad. He's very mad. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I already mentioned uh, Predator. Um, the Godfather is the one that I teased at the beginning because I, I never watched Lenny Montana wrestle, but Luca Brazzi was a wrestler oh, in yes. Lenny Montana. Yes. Uh, I could only fit one Roddy Piper movie on there, so Hell Comes to Frogtown couldn't make my list, but God, that is a blast. What a bizarre romp that <laughs> is. <laughs> I know. Oh God. What a what a another crazy another crazy production story too, just how they get they get totally screwed over. I, I haven't know. I haven't like read anything about that, but I guess I need to. Yeah, it, the the there there were just a lot of you know, uh, this it was a, it was a shitty. It was it was Roger Corman's production company, but it was kind of the aftermath. It was after Roger Corman had left and and sold it to make another production company, which kind of makes me laugh. Like, wait, wait you <laughs> sold this production company to go open another production company? Like, couldn't you 
just, you know, stay. I don't know. Maybe there's some kind of politics going on. I don't know. But um, yeah, and that kind of that kind of fucked with the movie and and the the director and it's it's crazy. Finally, <laughs> I couldn't it couldn't make my list because it had fucking Ernest Miller in it, but the wrestler, the wrestler with uh, oh, yeah. Mickey Rourke. Oh, that's a great movie. That's a great one. Um, just real quick, what's the what do you think is the worst wrestling movie that you've seen, oh, or God. worst movie with a wrestler rather? Oh, I can tell you exactly what it is. Huh? The Almighty Thor. The Almighty Thor. It is, it is a sci-fi direct-to-TV um, mockbuster. It's a genre of movie called Mockbuster, and it features Kevin Nash as Odin. It is. <laughs> it, <laughs> It is one of the, it, you know, it's one of the, not only one of the worst, not only the worst wrestling film, but one of the worst, if not the worst movie I've ever seen in my life. Sounds it's, like I need to watch this. It's appalling. It's just, yeah, it, it, it's, I think it's on Amazon Prime. It is just, it's so bad because it's, it's this company that just, that they, 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 this is the same company that made like three, three headed shark attack or. Oh yeah, all those shitty movies that yeah. they want to trick you at the video store into thinking it was that's the actual movie. That's exactly it. Same. That's that company, and and they. Uh, it's we watched it a couple months ago, and it was it was deplorable. <laughs> just just bottom of the barrel. I will have to check that out. I, uh, you know the worst. Okay, there's two that come to mind. First off, the worst that I think features a wrestler. Yeah. Is uh, bad news bears go to Japan, <laughs> which is just like a terrible bad news bear. It's so fucking boring. But and some at one part, I don't know if you've seen this recently, but there's a part where the kids wrestle giant Baba. Yeah, what's the problem? What's the problem? It sounds, it sounds like normal. Like normal. does the job to these little to these little baseball players. Um, and then the worst one I think that has to do with wrestling is 1986's Body Slam, which is just yes. an awful movie altogether. Yeah, yeah, but I think I think you'll you'll find Almighty Thor to be worse. Well, uh, I'll let you know when I review that it's on the show. Richard Richard Grieco as uh, as Loki. Richard Grieco's in it, and it's bad. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Who who would have thought? <laughs> who would have thought? JP, it's been uh, an amazing show, an honor having you on. Uh, I Anything else that you want to plug? Obviously, listeners, go check out The Lapsed Fan. You get more of Lapsed Vince, Lapsed Hogan, Lapsed Macho Man. Just such a good time. And go become a Patreon subscriber. Anything else you want to plug? Uh, I mean, not. no, that's it. Thank you. Yeah, The Lapsed Fan. Uh, we're, on, we're on Twitter. Uh, uh, you can follow us there if you like. Email us, you know, tell, tell, tell them how great I was here on this episode or how awful I was. You can email us at thelapsefan at gmail.com. Uh, we're on iTunes. We're on, we're on, I think we're on Spotify. Anywhere uh, you get your pods, anyway. I think. Spreaker is, is our, is our main platform. And yeah, on, on Patreon, under the cinemat, it's a, it is, it's always an adventure that I can promise you. We just did, uh. We're in scary because we're it, it's a uh, you know we're we're in scary movie season right now. Um, we did uh, I know what you did last summer, which features former WWE writer Freddie Prince Jr. Wait 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 former writer? Oh yeah, oh yeah. 
He was he was a writer. He 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 did creative for from like uh, mid two thousand eight till early two thousand nine. Then went away. Then came back and and taught promo classes to performers. No kidding. Oh yeah, yeah. He 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 started writing. He his first gig. He did the. He wrote promos. He started off writing promos for uh, like the Brian Kendrick and a couple others, and then kind of built his way up and and wrote one for the undertaker and 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 undertaker was like this is the best shit i've read in 10 years and so wow. he became his writer and he he wrote for you know mvp bunch of guys yeah it's it's a bizarre a bizarre thing you because you wouldn't think of that you'd think freddie prince jr would be in front of the camera but no he 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 was invited to do creative stuff and then, yeah, then he did like improv classes and stuff, you know, trying to get these, the, the wrestlers to do better promos. That is amazing. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Listeners, what's your favorite film that features a wrestler? Let me know on social media, Force5Pod on Twitter and Force5Podcast on Instagram, and your comment might just make it to the show. I'm also recommitting to Letterboxd, and I've had a ton of fan interaction on there this week. You can find me over at letterboxd.com backslash force5 if you want to sneak peek at what I've been watching and what I might be reviewing on next week's show. And of course, if you liked what you heard, please review the show wherever you listen to your podcasts and tell your friends to listen as well. Intro and outro bumpers today come courtesy of Nate Spears. The top five list bumper was produced by me with music from Audio Binger. Until next time, stay safe, stay sane, and go watch some movies with wrestlers in it. Ooh, yeah. Force five. That was the worst fucking macho man I've ever heard in my life.